And this was never drilled in me. This was just always my mindset. Um, I really believe that the most growth happens when you're the most uncomfortable. And it's really hard. And it's, I'm not perfect at it. Like it's, it's really scary and it's difficult at times. And you question, um, like I could always, you can always take an easier path. Mm. But I've always been miserable on the easiest path. Hi, and welcome to the Audacious Health Podcast, where we dive into the wholehearted and imperfect cultivation of our own well-being and the health of our communities. No quick fixes, no shortcuts, just honest conversations to challenge and inspire you to maximize your potential right where you are. Hi friends, before we dive into this awesome conversation today, you might notice a couple minor blips in the audio. I had some very excited dogs and a squealing baby in the background, so I did my best to reduce this distraction. Thank you for your patience and support in my little budget studio. Without further ado. Hi friends, welcome to the Audacious Health Podcast. I'm your host, Chauncey Carroll, and today I am super excited to introduce you to Brittany. Brittany is a sports performance coach for Palace, which takes a unique integrated approach to training through strength and conditioning, nutrition, prehab, and sports-specific coaching. Brittany is a sister, auntie, daughter, and friend who uses her experience as a former Division I tennis player turned professional triathlete and engineer to help others find the courage to embrace fear, take on new challenges, and build confidence along the way while creating a healthy work-life balance. Welcome, Brittany, to the podcast. Thanks so much. I feel like it was destiny that you... And I met, I feel like we clicked right away when you reached out and yeah, I feel like we could talk for hours um, <laughs> on end about all of the really cool things that um, we just have in common. But I guess maybe first tell us a little bit about your origin story and how you got into triathlons. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I totally felt like we clicked <laughs> and you know, there were a couple other podcasts that I was asked to talk on, and, and this one just felt right. Um, so I'm so really, honored by that. <laughs> so I'm really excited to be talking to you. Yeah, I could probably write a book on on my past. I grew up, I'm a triplet, uh, and <laughs> nice. I also have an older sister, so grew up in, in a really competitive family, and we were all very high achievers when it came mm. to both athletics and academics. I'd been playing tennis basically since I can remember, like since I can walk. Like, oh, wow. Mm -hmm. pretty early yeah like probably four years old oh awesome um so yeah tennis was my life growing up and basically played all through my freshman year of college and it, it was everything it, I was always like mentality wise I was always an all-in kind of person mm. whatever I did I had to be the best at oh sure um you relate to that <laughs> <laughs> I know you can <laughs> um which I think is a blessing and a curse. Yeah. Um, and I think my sisters probably had a healthier balance with sport. And they were, I was focused on academics, but they were extremely focused on academics. Mm. And, you know, looking back now and seeing things more clearly, I think they probably had a healthier balance than I did. But mm. I achieved the level I did because I was so all in. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. 
So when did you transition into triathlon then? Yeah. So my senior year of high school, I'd already been recruited to play tennis at Santa Clara University in California. I always saw myself going to a Stanford or UCLA, but I wasn't quite good enough to go to one of those programs. Mm. Um, I could have been a walk-on, but I wanted to go and I wanted to play and um, like be a key player on the team. Um, so long story short, I was pretty burnt out by that time after mm. playing tennis for 14, 15 years. Yeah. And it being all-encompassing. I actually moved away from home when I was 13 until oh, wow. I was 16. Oh, my gosh. Um, That's a big step for a 13-year-old. Mm-hmm. And that was for tennis. It was for tennis. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I moved out to California and trained at um, Tennis Academy out there. And I was basically homeschooling myself. And then fast forward a bit, and I ended up uh, – I moved out to Florida uh, and trained with the Hungarian national coach for two years out oh, wow. there. So, yeah, tennis had been – my whole life, my whole identity had been everything. And I got to the point where I kind of wondered, like, is this all worth it? And what else is there? And I think I was pretty burnt out. I got mono my junior year of high school because um, I was traveling every weekend to tournaments and I was a full-time high school student. And I think I just overworked myself and this like foreshadows a bit. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, a friend of mine who was a hitting partner was a former division one college tennis player and I think he played a bit of professional tennis and he convinced me to do some stroke and stride races that they had in Boulder Mm. so these swim run races and so I started doing those just as cross training and something totally different from tennis yeah I just like loved it and I I was a terrible swimmer but I (laughs) I loved the run and I liked the challenge of it and and being a beginner at something and it it kind of just grew and then I did my first triathlon and I, I had no training for it like I would just <laughs> randomly do the distances of a sprint triathlon wow just throughout the week uh, around tennis practice I joined the high school track team my senior year and everyone was like why didn't you run before you should have ran for us <laughs> could have been really good at cross country and yeah that was when I I sort of started getting hooked on triathlon but I'd committed to go play tennis. Mm-hmm. So a connection through tennis actually was good friends with the CU triathlon coach, Mike Ritchie uh-huh. at the time. And Mike and I totally hit it off. And, you know, I was telling him that I was brand new to triathlon, but I loved this sport. And it was, I loved the community. Everyone mm. was so nice. And it was very different from tennis. Like mm. it felt like more of a community. Mm-hmm. And Mike just said, well, you know, you've put so much into tennis. Go and give this a try. Go and play a year at Santa Clara. And, and you might love it and just see just see how it is. It'll be totally different from junior tennis and um, you'll have a team. And But I knew at the time my heart was in triathlon and doing something totally new. <laughs> yeah. And so I played tennis my freshman year at Santa Clara and uh, I was miserable. <laughs> <laughs> Did not really fit in with the California environment. Mm. Like, I think it's just a different, different environment. The girls, I, I just was very different from the girls on the team. Mm-hmm. And I had some good friends in school, but it was just, it was very different from Colorado. I actually hit it off with some of the girls on the running team there. Oh, nice. And then met the coaches and then they saw me run and they were trying to convince me to switch to running. <laughs> so the the running coach actually went to the tennis coach and said, hey, we think you should switch to running. Yeah. Just in the wrong sport. <laughs> Anyways, it's a long story, but they didn't end up having any money for running there. Mm. And 
that was when I kind of made the decision. I, I want to move back home and move to Colorado and be done with tennis and start something fresh. So, wow. Yeah. I mean, I, so I know you're a decorated professional triathlete. What are some maybe career highlights that you look back on? I'd say, I think it's more of like the process of it that I started out being such a beginner at CU and going from being 70th in the country at nationals my freshman year to finishing second my junior year and then winning my senior year. Wow. And I started out, I could barely swim. Like Mm -hmm. I was a terrible swimmer. You know, on paper that winning a national, a collegiate national championship isn't isn't that big on paper when you compare it to racing professionally because that Mm. was such a big jump. But to me, that was something I was so proud of because I did that all while juggling engineering school and really busy schedule and a new sport. And I was training 20 hours a week and probably studying 60 hours a week. Oh, my gosh. Um, And then my parents got separated at that time, too. Mm. So it was uh, overcoming that. That felt like the Olympics to me. Um, yeah. well the huge victory given yeah. all that you were going through then yeah so and then and then I think racing professionally and that was starting over again and being a beginner um and realizing yeah I was pretty good collegiately but I was actually terrible starting out as a pro in 2016 mm. and kind of redoing that rebuild that same process that I did in college and going on by my third season in 2019 2020 I was doing pretty well in the continental cup races and finished top 20 in my first world cup and I never thought I'd be competitive as a pro wow yeah that is super awesome <laughs> like <laughs> you had that in you all along and here you are playing tennis and not I mean it sounds like you're yeah. an amazing tennis player also yeah. but that's really cool <laughs> uh, but speaking of begin you know being a beginner at things it sounded like one day you just decided to do the pike speak ascent I would love to hear just about how that thought like popped into your brain. You're like, oh yeah, sure. Like with little training, I'm just going to go run this. And it's like so different. (laughs) Yeah. There's a joke in my family and it's, it's very true that if it's not epic, Brittany won't do it. (laughs) So uh, I kind of joke that tennis wasn't epic enough. I needed the thrill and I needed, um, there was something, I had so much energy always like as a kid, even to just there's something about pushing my body past past the limit and then realizing, well, I can go a little further. Well, I can go a little further. And so I, I love to try new things that I'm not good at and to just see what I can do with a beginner's mind. Mm. And so I wanted to do something totally different. And I had found trail running at the beginning of COVID when all the races were canceled. And I fell in love with it. And I was terrible at it. <laughs> so I I was pretty good on the uphills, but I was not good on any technical descents. Oh, yeah. Those are rough. Um, So, and then I had really good friends like Tina Mascarenas (laughs) who encouraged me to do it. And she's an incredible trail runner, one of the best in the world, especially Mm -hmm. on the downhill. And so I started doing some local, I did two local trail races like the High Drive Challenge, which is where you run, it's like five miles straight up High Drive and then straight down. (laughs) Um, And I could barely walk for a week after that race. But yeah, it was just doing doing something totally new. I'd been doing triathlon for a long time and I definitely was not prepared for it. I I bonked pretty hard at the halfway point, Mm. which I think is bar, uh, bar camp. Mm -hmm. So I'd never done over 3,000 feet of climbing. I'd never 
the longest trail run I'd done was 10 miles and that maybe had 3,000 feet of elevation. Yeah. So Pike, to put it into perspective, Pikes is, um, I believe it's 8,000 feet of climbing and 13 and a half miles. So (laughs) I'd never ran a half marathon and I'd never done a 14er. Wow. So if it's not epic, I won't do it. (laughs) So I was like, let's just do it. And I thought it it was also, I was having a lot of doubt in triathlon at the time because I wasn't, I wasn't performing well in races and I ended up, I kind of used it as a confidence building experience to learn about myself and learn about that my limits are self-imposed. That's amazing. I love your mindset. You're like, oh, well, I've never done this before. I might as well just go for it and try it. And I just love your courage to suck at something new. I think that's something that we need to do more of because especially if we've found success in one area, then we just want to stick to what we know Mm -hmm. and we could just stay in this you know, fixed mindset basically of saying, well, I'm good at this. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm good at because that feels good. And it's Mm -hmm. comfortable for me. Right. And here you are, you're like, no, I am want to get uncomfortable again. Mm -hmm. And I need to challenge myself and kind of refine the edges of my mental performance Mm -hmm. to see what I'm capable of. Yeah. And this was never drilled in me. This was just always my mindset. Um, I really believe that the most growth happens when you're the most uncomfortable and it's really hard and it's, I'm not perfect at it. Like it's, it's really scary and it's difficult at times. And you question, um, like I could always, you can always take an easier path, Mm. but I've always been miserable on the easiest path. Mm. And, and I think it's just how I am, but it is a blessing and a curse Cause it, cause I got mono again in, um, Oh really? I did. Yeah. 2021. Wow. And that, that was me embracing (laughs) being uncomfortable, but I took it to the extreme with training and with, and with work and maybe didn't prioritize, uh, self-care or mental and physical health. I was very much, you could say it's a bit masochistic in some ways what we do. I was progressing really well Mm -hmm. and with the Olympics being delayed, I, I never would have had a chance for 2020, but with the Olympics being delayed, I was like, well, I'm top three, top four for Canada. And I was I was doing really well and swimming really hard with the high school swim team. Mm-hmm. And again, sucking relative to these kids who are really fast, but I progressed and was swimming faster than I'd ever imagined. Um, but I think I just took it a little bit too far and maybe didn't communicate well with my coaches. I didn't advocate for myself when the fatigue got to be too much. Hmm. And we were seeing a lot of progress and I was thriving until I wasn't. Yeah. (laughs) And then that's been a long, uh, you know, it's two years later and I'm still not, still not totally back from that. And yeah, it was definitely, there was a balance to it. So that's, that's actually why I've gotten into coaching is to help people find that balance like in their life as a whole. Yeah, that it is so hard because when you are driven and you have a, you know, gifts and talents but also like the drive to push yourself, it is hard to find that stopping point until your body just says no, like you can't go any further and mm-hmm. sometimes I've fallen into that as well, where it's just like, oh, I didn't listen to my body and my body like talked back. Right. Eventually your body will stop you if you don't listen to it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's, there's a balance too, because I think not everyone has that mindset. I'd say most people don't have that mindset. Um, It's probably the 1% 
who are racing sure. prof- like crazy enough to race professionally or try to achieve yeah. the pinnacle of their sport. Um, but I do think that everyone can learn from it and find a healthy amount of motivation and drive um, with, you know, like the work-life balance, like finding a finding a healthy balance. I think just because you didn't, you're not a pro, like you can still, you can relate. Um, everyone can relate. Oh yeah, absolutely. Whether yeah. it's like you're putting hundred hour work weeks in right. and not taking any time off and you're working in evenings and weekends and mm-hmm. like at some point your body's going to say stop. Like mm-hmm. you either have to slow down yourself or like your body will do it for you. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I think learning, learning what's important in your life and learning what to prioritize. And yeah, I've been lucky to have, I've had some coaches that maybe weren't the right fit, but then I've also had some amazing coaches. And and that's why I've started working with Andrew Markoff in Palace as well, because he has really given me perspective of of what's important and maybe how I can how I can use my background to to help others and for me I've made the the decision recently to to step away from competitive triathlon and I don't know if it's a permanent thing or just right now um but I'm trying to build a life and a career outside of sport that I'm proud of and that I'm passionate about so that it is a healthier balance yeah let's so. talk about that a little bit because like you said you're taking a little break kind of breaking a little bit more into the coaching world for me I know that's was a quite a transition as you know full-time athlete to okay I'm on the other side coaching now you know what has that break been like for you so far I've definitely been fighting it at times and I don't have the urge to train four hours a day right now yeah (laughs) but I think it's more fighting that identity of of being a professional triathlete and I'm sure people can relate sometimes we hold on to identities um, just because they're comfortable even if they're maybe not making us happy Mm. Uh, so for me i I've had to, I don't have it all figured out right now. I'm not going to say that I know my whole life ahead of me in my career because I really don't. I don't think any of us do. <laughs> <laughs> but to me, for two years, um, you know, getting mono and I, you could say it, it was a full burnout that I experienced, not only in sport, but in life mm-hmm. in 2021. And I think that was the wake up call I needed. And I, I spent two years trying to rebound from that. And I could kind of just feel for the last two years, my heart wasn't really, I didn't have the drive that I had before, Mm. but I think I also had a healthier perspective and it was maybe my gut telling me that we need to find better balance and reminding me of what's important. And yeah, to me, it's family and spending time with friends. And I have a, I have a new niece and she's 16 months old and just having more time for, for the things that are really important. Mm. So I feel like Andrew talks about this, you have phases in your life. So you have the transformation phase where you're really committed on your career or being a professional athlete and and building yourself up. And you have to be kind of selfish during that period of time to really go all in and focus. I did that. And I think the last two years I'd been fighting that. I didn't really want to be in that transformation phase. Like Mm. I felt like I was living too much of a self-centered life and so then you have the giving back phase and you don't just stay in one forever you can kind of go back and forth Mm -hmm. but to me just my gut feeling I felt like I was in I wanted to be in the phase of giving back 
what's gotten me into the coaching. (laughs) That's really cool. I like thinking about that in those phases and that they don't have to be linear Mm -hmm. and that we will kind of have those different seasons throughout our life. Mm -hmm. And because I think it is hard. It's like when you are in that transformational phase, it is tunnel vision. Like that Mm is all you see. I remember, I mean, when I was competing, it was just like, that's what you live, what you breathe. Like you don't get a day off from that because even if, even on your rest day, you're thinking about your nutrition and your sleep and it's all encompassing and you have to physically like remind yourself of what's actually important in life. Like not that those things are not important at all. They are, but they have their priority and their place in, in the world. And so for me, like when I retired, I had courage to retire because I was like, I have an amazing husband at home. And like, I have this amazing community at home that has nothing to do with climbing. And Mm -hmm. like, just trying to remind yourself of like, this isn't my a hundred percent identity. Like I'm also a wife. I'm also a sister. I'm also, you know, a daughter. And so trying to, yeah, maybe not blow up that one identity to be like all encompassing, but it's really hard. It's really hard to like step away. Yeah. Do you think you, do you think you hit a stage where maybe you, you started questioning things or you're like, oh, this feels, this, this feels kind of selfish. Whereas before that, when you're in the transformation mm-hmm. phase, I feel like you don't even think about it. You're right. Just it's so just what you do. Focused, but you love it. You mm-hmm. love the process and every sacrifice doesn't feel like a sacrifice. Like it feels like an investment because you're so, you're kind of addicted to it. Yeah. A hundred percent. No, I think, I mean, I was also coming off of a year of shoulder injuries. I did a get mono at one point. Oh, really? uh, yeah. Like, oh gosh, late into my training seasons. Um, so I had to take a year off and I, yeah, I felt like I didn't want that to be the last say. I yeah. So I did come back for a year and I was like, all right, I'm going to just give it all I've got for a year. And it was a fantastic year and I was having so much fun. And maybe that was the difference is I think I came back and with like, I'm going to have fun mindset. Yeah. Like I'm going to perform my best, but I'm also like going to savor yeah. the moment. So it was the most fun season I've ever had. I also like performed the best that I had ever had, traveled the world and kind of, I don't know, got it out of my system, I guess. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, I feel like I had that draw of like, I, I want to go home and I want to start a family. I want to, mm-hmm. you know, be with like friends that maybe like don't care what my ranking is in climbing, you know, it's like, it, I think it can get really burdensome, um, and just mentally fatiguing. Right. And so, yeah, I think it it is a courageous leap because you're not necessarily there yet. And you're just like, okay, I have to assume and like know that it's going to be okay when I step back because this isn't just my own, like my full identity. There's other things that I can enjoy and that people love me for me and not what I can do Mm -hmm. (laughs) or what my ranking is. Um, so yeah, it's like a conscious decision for sure, for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, now I'm on the other side of it, like post a few years and it's like, oh man, I, I love that was my last year. I have no regrets. Yeah. I love where I'm at right now. Like I love coaching and I love being with the kids and seeing it through their eyes, you know, and remembering how I was at that point too. Like you just remember the joy in the sport in the first place. Yeah. Like it comes full circle. Yeah. That's awesome that you had such a positive final year, like a rebound. And, and that's where, that's why I haven't officially announced retirement. Sure. Because part of me still feels, I would, I would love to have a great 
a great season. And so mm-hmm. I might, I, I'm still training. I And I might jump back in later this season or in the fall. But yeah, you kind of, I've kind of had to just trust my gut right now and mm-hmm. figure out uh, life outside of sport and maybe give more because I think that'll fulfill me more and make me feel maybe more okay about pursuing my my individual goals in the sport as well. Yeah, that's awesome. Speaking of coaches, I would love to hear like what set apart the coaches that were like the best in your mind Mm -hmm. and kind of what you would maybe want to emulate from them as you start to coach. Yeah, I think the coaches, the coaches that were the best were the ones that taught me how to fish. So they, they didn't really tell me what to do. They encouraged independence and kind of taught me the right mindset to have about training and, and balance and, and like helped, helped reel me back in some ways because mm-hmm. I never had to be motivated. In fact, it was the opposite. I was overly motivated. So I think mm. the coaches who held me back, even though I didn't like it at the time, and the ones who really, you know, would force me to take a day off. Hmm. Like, I used to struggle. I didn't want to take a day off a week. Hmm. And looking back, I'm like, that was crazy. Like, I needed a day off. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was so driven and I just wanted to get ahead. So, yeah, I think the coaches that not only, you know, understood the physiology and taught me to be a better athlete, but they, they taught me to be a better person and taught me about mindset and really helped me try to keep that perspective you know, teaching me how to fish. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. I love that they didn't just like tell you what to do. Yeah. That yeah. they helped you learn the why behind it and had your long-term health and success in mind. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I've also worked really well with, uh, so my college coach was a former Marine, Mike Ritchie. Oh, cool. And, and then Andrew was a Marine as well, who, um, is the CEO of Palace. So I really connected with, both of them and they both have that teach you how to fish mindset Mm. they're not just telling you what to do it's very much of a team effort um in working with those coaches and and they have a lot of perspective like being in the marine corps and they've seen oh sure a lot of things and they've had crazy experiences it just puts triathlon is so minuscule in in comparison to what they've been through and yeah. And just having a coach who really believes in you. Like my freshman year of college, mm-hmm. Mike told me, you're going to win a national championship as a senior. And I laughed in his face. I was like, Mike, I can barely swim across the pool. He was like, watch, you'll do it. Because he knew the mindset I had and he knew, I, th- I don't know. He just knew. That's awesome. He believed in me. I didn't believe in myself, but. Um, <laughs> That's really yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, now that you're a coach, what do you hope to pass on from your own experiences? I think really treating athletes as as humans, as people, mm-hmm. and encouraging them that a training plan, it's not something you have to do, but something you get to do. Mm. So in really helping people find the motivation that the training that they're doing is going to make them like the best version of themselves. So maybe they're not motivated to get up in the morning and get out of bed when it's warm. Like nobody's motivated to do that. <sighs> But if they think about um, this will make me a better father or a better mother mm-hmm. or uh, thinking about how them committing and being disciplined to a process is going to make them better to the people around them, like better to serve to the people around them. And that's a big part of what Palace does 
is it's, it's about the whole athlete and person. It's not just athletic goals. It's how can you serve others best and in order to serve others best, you you need to go through difficulty and mm. discipline yourself and, and learn grit and struggle so you can actually teach that to others and teach that to people you care about and your family and your kids or whoever. So, yeah. I think that's <laughs> really important because, yeah, when I think back to my favorite coaches or the ones that impacted the me the most is they did care about me as a person. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just my outcome at the end of the day. Right. Uh, of course, they wanted the best outcome for me, of course, but they actually cared about what was going on outside of the gym or outside of, mm-hmm. you know, the competition and really focused on that mental side right. as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel so fortunate with, I've learned something from every coach I've worked with, mm-hmm. you know, um, George Heidinger and Anna Heidinger were my swim coaches here in the Springs for They've been coaching me for 10 years. Like they taught me how to swim. They were incredible coaches and taught me really to view myself as a swimmer when I never did. I I really lacked confidence in the water. And to this day, they still, you know, they still help me so much. And then Justin Trollet was more of like a parental fatherly coach who like really helped me after I had, I had mono and he helped me gain perspective of of the sport and, and kind of realizing um, there's a lot more to life. And and then Andrew has just taught me so much about the the grit and kind of understanding what I what I went through and now how I can translate the lessons I've learned into coaching. And, and he's taught me so much about life, too, just that being uncomfortable is OK. Like I'm familiar with that in sport, but I'm not familiar with that in life as much. Mm. So kind of embracing that mindset in life that it's not going to be fun. Like when you're doing something new, it's really difficult. And I've always understood that in sport, but not necessarily in life. And then Ken Axford was my development coach and I still have a great relationship with him. And he believed in me from the beginning. And I worked with him for, I think, seven years. And he taught me how to be really detail oriented, how to be self-sufficient and independent and, um, how like he was very type A like I am and he taught me to to do a good job and follow a plan and trust the process and mm. yeah so I've been very fortunate to have amazing coaches yeah um, that's really cool and nobody's perfect right. I think of course yeah there's there's lessons there's lessons you learn with each coach and maybe at times you, you look back and you're like oh, I, I maybe should have switched coaches earlier or mm. but I, I've been fortunate to have coaches that have really cared about me as a person and still care about me as a person. Yeah. So. With your coaching perspective that you have now, is there anything that you wish you or younger self could know? Or like, what would you tell your younger self now? I'd say looking back, and this was something that Coach George, my swim coach, he he told me one day when he saw, he was like, Brittany, you're just like not enjoying the process. Like it is painful to watch. Hmm. And he told me this like a couple years ago. He was like, this is it is really hard to watch. He was like, you have, you have talent, but you're not enjoying the process and you doubt yourself so much. And looking back, I wish I had just, um, trusted the process more and, and enjoyed the moments and enjoyed, like, I can't really say I enjoyed some of the, the podiums I had at the elite level. I think I Mm. was more relieved Mm. because I never believed I could do it. Like, I wish I had raced more to win rather than not raced to not to lose Mm. I think I 
I think I raced a lot with fear and it just came from my own self-doubt. Yeah. And that, and I think that's been the difference for me in running. Like I know I'm a good runner and I'm confident in my running. And so I can go and do a crazy race like the Pikes Peak Ascent and, and I'm excited to race and I have no pressure. I put no pressure on myself Mm -hmm. and it's so fun to just race fearlessly. So I'd say that's the biggest thing I would tell my younger self is, um, be fearless Mm -hmm. and, and fail, like fail lots and fail forward. I think when I first started out and I was a terrible swimmer and I wouldn't even make a swim pack in my races. It was, it's draft legal. So if if you don't make a pack, Mm. your race is kind of done. And I would get so down on myself. I'd be so upset and I'd let it kind of go into the training for weeks after the race. And yeah, looking back, I'm like, I wish I'd been more uh, confident and just trusting of the process. And Hmm. yeah. That's really awesome because you're going to be able to pass that on now to the people that are under you. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it is like as we're, as we grow older, not that we're Mm -hmm. that old yet, but um, I think we do get some perspective and realize like, oh, it's, I always say to my kids, like, it's just, it's just climbing. Yeah. Like it feels when you're that age, like it's all consuming. It's the most important thing ever to perform Mm -hmm. at that level at that moment, you know? And at the end of the day, you're like, it's just climbing. We still love you. Like Mm -hmm. your parents are still going to love you. You know, it's like, you're still a full person regardless of whether you get on the podium today or not. Right. Yeah. And I think that was part of the problem. And and that's a whole other bag of worms. You can go back to childhood, but we're not going to do that. Um, (laughs) Is, you know, I think I based my my self-worth off of performance mm-hmm. in, in whatever it was school. Like if I got a B, I'd be devastated mm-hmm. in school. It was the end of the Same. world. Yeah. Um, and, and my reaction to failure was not healthy. Mm-hmm. Like I, I would act like somebody had died. Like, it, like if I failed at something mm-hmm. and, and so I think in a way it was a blessing for me to get mono and then all of a sudden go to races races where I was finishing on the podium previously I was finishing like 15th or 20th and realizing like whoa I should have been thrilled when I was getting top 10 finishes and it it gave me perspective and Mm -hmm. then I actually I did have a top six finish this fall which was like a great bounce back and Mm -hmm. I like I was so proud of that performance and that was the first time even though I wasn't in the best shape I was coming off of an injury um that was the first time I had raced fearlessly and enjoyed mm-hmm. the race. And it wasn't a big race. It was a Conti Cup. But in the past, if I'd finished sixth in a race, I'd be devastated. Like, I remember finishing fifth in a race in Richmond, Virginia, a few years ago in a Conti Cup. And I was devastated. I felt like a failure since I wasn't on the podium. Mm-hmm. And so it just gives you perspective, I think, when you when you really do fail hard. Like, when you get mono or you have a mm-hmm. really difficult injury or something that sets you back and then all of a sudden it's like wow I was actually performing before and nothing bad happened when I finished 20th right or if I DNF a race nothing bad happened yeah there are a lot of lessons learned along the way and I'm already mentoring some juniors in the sport and and other athletes who are on my college team who reach out sometimes and yeah hopefully they cannot make them some of the mistakes that I've made but I think that's why I've gotten into coaching again is just like I've learned so much through my mistakes. Like maybe my mistakes were a blessing so I can help others. Yeah. I think what you're saying resonates so much and just the even though we competed in completely different <laughs> sports, like I think the mind the athlete mindset can be similar at that caliber or that level. Mm-hmm. Um, but even I think just 
in our daily lives. I don't know if you're familiar with Brene Brown's work, but Mm -hmm. love her so much. And she's helped me so much, even in like my transition away from competitive athlete of like the courage to compete and the courage to give your all is way more fun when like our worthiness is not on the line Mm -hmm. and like, we don't feel like we have to hustle for our worthiness every time. Right. Uh, And I think a lot of that is coming from like an imposter syndrome where Mm -hmm. you feel like every single time that you're walking up into whether it's a competition or a presentation or a school paper, whatever it is, like if I don't be perfect and prove myself, I'm a fraud. Mm -hmm. Like that's the mentality that I think you can get into, or at least I did as an athlete and often shows up in my professional life as well. Is like, if I am not perfect, people are going to figure out I don't belong here. Do you think it still happens to you today? Oh yeah. hundred percent. Totally. Like even coaching, like I'm coaching little kids and there's, that still creeps up in the back of my mind where I'm like, I have to coach perfectly today or they're going to know that I'm like not good enough. Like I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be a coach. That's so funny. But, but everyone sees you and they're like, Chauncey's so confident. She knows what she's doing. You know, so it's sure. your own yeah, imposter I, syndrome. Yeah. I don't, do you, is that something that you struggle with at all? <laughs> oh yeah. Is that a question? <laughs> oh yeah. I'd say, I think self-doubt has been my biggest struggle as an athlete uh, and as an engineer, actually. Mm-hmm. I, uh, growing up as a triplet, like my triplet sisters are brilliant and then my our older sister is brilliant she's a lawyer and both my sisters are engineers one of them is getting their phd um yes i definitely have felt like a fraud like my sisters were top of the class um at cu boulder and i think my sister was in the top three in biological and chemical engineering and you know i got i think a three six three seven gpa and i felt like a failure because caroline my my triplet who's brilliant she got like a perfect like a 4.0 or 3.9 um which is unheard of in biochem mm-hmm. engineering um and so so maybe it was a bit of a comparison game that made me feel that imposter syndrome but sure. I also I struggled a ton with imposter syndrome in triathlon like even when I was doing really mm-hmm. well in races I never took the credit for doing well like I would just think I got lucky mm-hmm. um or like even if I was number one on a start line, meaning um, you're like the top ranked athlete and they're expecting you to win or whatever, I, I would be <laughs> so nervous before the race and unconfident. Like even if it was, wasn't was a big race, it was just this imposter syndrome. But um, in hindsight, maybe it was good because it kept me humble. Like I never, mm-hmm. I never struggled with being cocky. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. That was never me. Um, it was quite the opposite. And then you know, in working in a new job, I just started working in a job in telecom as an organizational change lead. Um, and I'm, that's the fancy way of saying I'm basically an analyst. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I had no telecom experience or background. And I felt like a major fraud. And that created a ton of anxiety starting mm-hmm. out in a new position with a yeah. really experienced team in an industry I wasn't familiar with. And so imposter syndrome is very real. And I, to this day, I struggle with imposter syndrome mm-hmm. in the pool in swimming because I didn't grow up swimming. Like I started swimming when I was 19 years old. So even when I was swimming really well, I never believed I was a swimmer. Mm. And even when I was I was swimming with the high school team and these kids are so fast 
um, and I'd be keeping up with them and my coaches would tell me you're doing great and they'd give me compliments it was like I couldn't take the compliments Mm -hmm. like George would frequently compliment me and I would be uncomfortable like I couldn't and he would get mad he'd be like say thank you (laughs) because I didn't believe him sure so that was definitely imposter syndrome so I think being aware of it yeah is is the first is a good start and then also I, I saw this quote the other day if you are feeling imposter syndrome you are in the right place mm. meaning like you're doing something uncomfortable like if you were just comfortable and safe you maybe wouldn't feel it as much but I do think there's a healthy amount of imposter syndrome. Yeah, um, no, I think that's super true. And it is kind of relieving to be like, oh, I'm not the only one. A lot of us man, men and women feel that imposter syndrome creep up sometimes and that mm-hmm. self-doubt. Right. And I think, yeah, recognizing it, there's maybe a healthy balance of humility there. But also right. taking the compliment and like recognizing like I do deserve to be here. I don't have to prove myself every time because that's exhausting. Yeah. And if I make a mistake – it's okay. Like mm-hmm. it's just a team practice. Like mm-hmm. it's just a presentation. Like it's okay. Right. Like we are not perfect beings. We should not have to be perfect all the time. We can't be. That's just impossible. Right. Yeah. No one's an expert starting out. I mean, even mm-hmm. after doing triathlon for 10 years, I'm not an expert. I learned, like I learned something new every practice every day. Um, and and this is a big part too with the coaching is that I think a lot of people are afraid to hire a coach because they feel like, oh, I've never, I'm not a runner. I've never done a 5k mm-hmm. or I've never, I've never done a half marathon or I've never done a triathlon. I don't know how to swim. And, and so through coaching, like I want to help people that you can do anything that you set your mind to. Like, mm-hmm. I truly believe that. Like if I can become a swimmer, anything can be done. Yeah. Like I was not a talented swimmer at all. Like I would just sink. I would just sink like a rock. And so, um, yeah, some of the athletes I coach, they'll, they'll say, oh, well, I, um, you know, I just jog. I'm not really, I don't call myself a runner. And I talk to them and I'm like, well, how much do you run? And they're like, oh, I run 15 miles a week. I'm like, well, you're a runner. I would consider that a runner. (laughs) Yeah, you're a runner. Um, and so I think that's something a lot of people can relate to is the imposter, Mm. imposter syndrome and, um. And, and a lot of – I was reading statistics that, like, a lot of women do not apply to certain engineering jobs mm-hmm. because they don't meet all the qualifications or criteria. Mm-hmm. And But the same man would apply mm-hmm. with the same qualifications. Right. So mm-hmm. I don't know the statistics if it's, like, do women struggle with it more than men. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we did. But I, but I do think everyone struggles with it to a yeah. certain extent. And so I think that's why some people have been – I think about how many people are out there who there's probably a ton of local people who would love to race the Pikes Peak Ascent or love to do their first 14 or what, whatever goal they have, mm-hmm. but they're afraid to do it because they just believe like they, they don't think they can do it. Um, yeah. So. We put ourselves in these identities of like, I'm not a runner. I'm not a, an athlete. I'm not mm-hmm. a you know athletic person, whatever it is. And mm-hmm. we box ourselves in. Right. And again, back to that like fixed mindset of like, just assuming that will never be me mm-hmm. and I think that's just something we have to consciously war against and say like no like the world is our oyster we can try whatever we want and it's right. okay to fail and when we when you said kind of that relief of like oh it's okay like to mess up and not be perfect at something and be a beginner at something mm-hmm. it opens up so many opportunities to right. try 
something new and maybe yeah. something that you discover you were meant to do all along, like triathlete mm-hmm. or being a coach or, like you said, doing the ascent for the first time. Right. You don't have to be a runner, quote unquote, to, to belong there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what I love about the endurance community too is it is a very inclusive and supportive community. And and what I love about Palace and working with Andrew and Megan, his wife, who's she's a nutritionist, is that they believe in sport. It's it's not an or, it's an and. So it's not like you have to pigeonhole yourself to one sport. And I think some people get afraid, like, oh, if I'm going to run a marathon, that's like, oh, I have to do. But it's no, if this is different. If, if you're trying to be the best in the world, I think you do need to pigeonhole yourself. Like if right. you want to be a professional runner, you have to really focus on running and yeah. do that for a period of time. But you can't do that forever. But in general, I'd say 99% of the population, people get afraid to sign on to a training plan because they think they're going to have to just do one sport and be hyper-focused on one thing. But like Andrew and I, like we understand the background and how to create a healthy balance that you don't have to do a single sport. Like if you want to do CrossFit and if you mm-hmm. want to race a marathon or whatever, you can have multiple goals and we can help you prepare for that and make it an adventure for you. And then you don't really have to think about your training. I think that's what sets Palace apart is just the large variety of sports that we can coach. I haven't I haven't seen a company that can coach the large variety and have the the background that that Andrew has in terms of the, like the strength training and the sports specific training. Yeah. That is so um, awesome. Yeah. So where can people find more about you and palace? Like where should they go? Um, so it's palace.io is the website. Um, so you can see a little background about me on there. And then I'm also on Instagram, uh, at B Warley. <laughs> and so, yeah, feel free to drop a DM if you have questions or anything. Awesome. Well, Brittany, this was amazing to have you on the podcast. Amazing to talk to you. I feel like there's so many things that we can learn from you. And I'm so excited for your athletes that they just get to be coached by you. Oh, thank you. So many cool things that you can pass down. I feel excited to coach them. Like I feel honored to to coach people. And if I can help one person, Mm. it's worth it. Yeah. I think that's what we have to come back to at the end of the day, it's like, even if I impact one person, then what I'm doing is worth it. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Brittany. I have a feeling that I'll have you on again sometime. (laughs) Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you so much. So if you guys liked what you heard on the podcast today, please share it with your friends. Give us a like or subscribe and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye friends.